This podcast has been brought to you by GM Moving, part of Greater Sports. We're here to help the people of Greater Manchester get moving and to improve lives through physical activity. Strategic Director at GM Moving and today's podcast I'm speaking to Graham at Greater Manchester Poverty Action. So two big questions that we're currently grappling with at the moment in GM Moving are firstly how do we avoid a further widening of the gap in physical activities, the difference between those who are active and those who aren't active Um, and in particular what does that mean for those who are living in poverty or on low incomes. And secondly, how do we ensure that those solutions are arrived at with people and working alongside them through a process of co-production, co-design, so that they absolutely inform and lead the way forward as opposed to doing something to them or for them. So welcome, Graham. Thank you for joining me for our latest podcast. Can you just give an introduction to yourself? Yeah, so I'm Graham Whittam and I'm one of the directors of Greater Manchester Poverty Action that works to tackle poverty across the city region. Can you share a little bit more about your work at GM Poverty Action and I guess why it's important? So we're interested, I mean it's important because there's an awful lot of people in Greater Manchester in poverty and and I guess there's lots of people know we've got some of the highest concentrations of poverty in, in Greater Manchester, some of the highest concentrations in the country. Um, so we we um, estimate that there are 600,000 people living in low-income poverty in Greater Manchester out of a population of just under 3 million. So it's an awful, awful lot of people. And obviously their experiences vary considerably, but it's, it's people who, who who haven't got enough money to lift them themselves and their families above the, the poverty line. So it's a big issue in the city region. It's It's an issue for the people that it affects because poverty limits people's life chances correlates really closely, particularly in, in this country, with things like poor health outcomes, poor educational outcomes. And so it seems to have such a significant impact on people's lives. But it's a problem for for everyone because it acts as a drag on the, the economy. So you've got lots of people who've got tons of potential um, who don't often go on and realise that potential because they've, they've grown up in poverty and that hurts our, our economy in the UK and including in Greater Manchester, you know, we've got lots of amazing talented um, people but we're not supporting them to to realize their potential enough and poverty has such an impact on on that and and it also kind of has an impact on on spending on services so you know a lot of the kind of responses to to poverty require an awful lot of resource and, and money being spent on them and dealing kind of often at the crisis end you know dealing with the consequences of poverty things like poor health outcomes um uh, and that that takes money away from from other services and money that could be spent on other other things. So it has consequences for everyone in Greater Manchester, and, and, and we think it's an issue that we, we need to do more about locally. The um, one of the things about poverty in the UK is there's a lot of the the kind of drivers sit with with central government in Westminster. You know they control the welfare system or most of the welfare system and, and issues like that. But we need to do more thinking about what we can do to tackle the, the problem. 
locally. So what we do at Greater Manchester Poverty Action is we are interested in kind of policy and approaches to tackling poverty at a local level. So can we create spaces for thinking about how we do things differently? So are the policies or projects or things that we can do in Greater Manchester that might have a, an impact on, on poverty? So we're interested in kind of the policy side and we also work in the spirit of kind of collaboration and networking. So we know there's loads of amazing individuals and organisations in Greater Manchester, whether it's the local councils, whether it's voluntary community organisations, whether it's the private sector, um, many of whom are really interested in poverty as an issue. Um, and, and we see our role often as kind of bringing those people together to kind of ask what can we do uh, to tackle poverty that's above and beyond our, you know, our day jobs, what we do day to day within our own individual organisations. Um, and there's a lot of keenness on that. You know, we've got really sort of strong convening power as an organisation. So we're good at bringing different people together who might usually not be in the same room. But when we bring them together, they identify opportunities for, for joint work. And obviously the, the potential impact of that kind of approach is, is huge. So, so that's, that's something we really encourage. So you and I have crossed paths on a number of occasions um, around sort of tackling poverty and particularly around ways of doing that so thinking about um, co-production and how we really co-design the solutions um, to address this very real need that you're talking about I've never had a conversation with you around physical activity in poverty um, and obviously in my new role at GM Moving um, it'd be really interesting to get your thoughts on whether this is a topic of discussion that even comes up in your day-to-day -day work I can I can make assumptions so you know we know that people living in poverty and on lower incomes are far less likely to live active lives and you know the assumption is that if your basic needs are unmet if you don't have food you don't have shelter you don't have safety and all those other health needs then staying active is less likely to be seen as a priority for you or for the people that you if you're caring for others and um, so I'm just curious really is it something that comes up in conversations and do you have any insight for us at GM Moving? So it's not a, something that comes up enough it isn't kind of like a, a core conversation point or topic when we're thinking about kind of addressing poverty obviously people think a lot about kind of health outcomes of people who are who are in poverty but they don't necessarily think about the kind of physical activity part of, of that and um, so it is something that needs to be given more more consideration I think one of the things that I think we, we we sort of try and get people to acknowledge is that the impact that kind of being on a low income and struggling day to day financially has on the sort of choices people make and the kind of psychological impact it has on people over time and um, what it means in terms of people's behaviors I think people often don't realize that um, struggling on a low income being in poverty has a really significant impact on um, people people's psychology um, the choices people make and the way people behave and it's and it's a real issue and people um, haven't necessarily got the time or the sort of headspace to be thinking about things like that might be perceived by some as sort of a luxury, like say physical activity or being involved in a, sport, a sports club, that kind of thing, um, because of the other pressures they're they're facing. And I think the there's lots of different um, responses that that means you need to think about when you're thinking about supporting people who are on low incomes to be more physically active. And there's a range of different things you need to think about there. So that might be accessibility of um, sport and physical activity 
it might be thinking about um, dealing with the pressures that people are on their incomes are under and alleviating those to create more opportunities for them to think about things like physical activity. So it's an issue that needs needs exploring, but it's not something that we would say is kind of at the core of poverty as a, a sort of policy area that needs, you know, when people are thinking about addressing poverty. Um, they may think about health outcomes, but they don't necessarily go to that next next stage and think specifically about physical physical activity. And it sounds like you're suggesting there that it should be made more of a priority. Um, so, you know, obviously we know uh, that in terms of the kind of the psychology that you refer to then when you're living in, in poverty, that, you know, being active, moving in whatever way does support both your physical and your mental well-being. Um, and it can actually also help address some of the other sort of social determinants of health more broadly and can sometimes be a way out of poverty. Um, you know, not for everybody, but it can be a means of supporting people yeah. to potentially um, access new opportunities and skills and, and employment, for example, um, and to make, you know, community connections um, and, you know, broaden maybe their, the opportunities and choices that are available to them, as well as giving people a greater sense sometimes of agency and control um, over the things that matter for them. So there is a whole load of evidence as to why, it is important, um, but I know I've certainly been conscious over the last few weeks during COVID that the government set that clear message um, in terms of kind of the priorities that you were allowed to leave the house for, you know, essential journeys. Um, you're allowed to leave the house for medication and allowed to leave the house for exercise, as they term it, not our preferred term for, for moving, but um, for exercise. So they kind of categorised it as a, you know, an essential basic need really for people to get their daily dose. Um, but it's been interesting that depending on where I am and what conversations I have, I, I definitely have the sense that where you're talking in communities and with people where they are right on the, I guess, on the shop edge, as people sometimes say, whether we like that phrase again or not, mm. um, where people are absolutely in crisis, um, that they're less likely to be talking to them about staying active. Um, so we've had conversations in, in some boroughs where they've been really welcoming of including, for example, our GM moving um, sort of leaflets in, in food parcels as a way of kind of reminding people that this is a way that can really help, you know, look mm. after themselves, look after each other, stay mentally and physically well. Um, but I know for others that has felt like it either is treated as a luxury or that it's almost inappropriate, that it'd be an inappropriate thing to suggest um, and some maybe nervousness sometimes for some people about suggesting that that's something that people should be doing as if that would lead to maybe fears of judgment yeah i think the other the other thing is well i mean there's a bit of nervousness sometimes around i think um being seen to sort of dictate to people mm. um how they should be behaving and sort of you, you may feel that you're given the impression that by raising awareness of kind of physical activity and the need to get moving you're sort of making a judgment about about people um by doing that, you know, if you're targeting that message at, say, low-income communities. So I think some of the nervousness, nervousness might come from that as well. I think the thing about sort of poverty, responses to poverty, I'm thinking about why we might think less about certain responses than others. One, one of the things that that's happened over the last few years, really, in terms of kind of lots of local responses to poverty, is we've, this is speaking in really broad terms, but often what's happened is we've jumped to kind of the crisis response 
So we've seen kind of the big increase in sort of food handouts, for example, as a as a response to that's that's the best example, really, the most clear example. You know, we've seen that as a real response to poverty, kind of food handouts. Um, and that's really de dealing with with the crisis and um, people are already in poverty. They're already struggling. They, they can't even afford to to buy enough food. We'll give them a food parcel. Uh, and and one of the issues with the pandemic, although it's been right that we needed to get get food and other support to people who are shielding because they're medically vulnerable, it does feel to me like it might have further embedded kind of food handouts as a response to poverty, uh, which is which is a real concern for us at, at GM Poverty Action. We've got to kind of create the spaces for thinking about how we respond to poverty, both in terms of thinking about sort of dealing with the root causes of it. But there's just there's just so much more scope for doing other things um, that might be more impactful and more beneficial. And some of those things, you know, will be done in partnership with the voluntary community sector. Um, but I think there's, there's definitely some work to be done over the coming months to kind of get the conversation, to kind of broaden out the conversation a bit more um, back to kind of other responses to poverty. And that may well include thinking about how we get people more more active and being able to articulate a bit like you just did, Eve, in terms being able to articulate kind of some of the potential benefits of which there are a number. Um, that kind of really needs airing at the moment more than more than ever. I think. I think that's absolutely spot on, um, and it feels like we're at that point now that we're trying to sort of sense make um, what conversations are appropriate and with whom at this point so as we look at emerging from crisis and from that kind of initial crisis response um which can feel that it i guess addresses with urgency specific needs that are, are there now as opposed to as you, as you describe you know eloquently there, kind of the longer term underlying kind of causes of poverty and and the the reasons why people have become dependent over the last few weeks for example on food parcels and the like um, and I guess what we're trying to understand now is it, it looks different doesn't it in different households in different streets in different communities some some are very much still in crisis space you know some people are still anxiously um worrying about family members for example um who may be in hospital or they may be grieving um you know others are the, the insecurity of work and housing and you know the next bill and food on the table is very very live for them and possibly still continuing to grow in anxiety whereas others are now sort of lifting their head a little bit and starting to think about okay how do we redesign and reimagine now for this new norm and certainly in you know in terms of our policy and our strategic leads in really thinking what does that look like structurally across greater manchester and how do we very intentionally design now to ensure that the current inequalities that already existed pre-covid but have been certainly revealed very starkly over recent mm. weeks what do we do now to ensure they certainly don't grow um, and that ideally we're continuing to narrow those that gap and close that gap and it, so it feels like yeah grateful to have this conversation with yeah. you now because you know it, it feels like it, we really need to be bringing people together <laughs> say around the table but obviously virtually just have the very honest conversation about where we're at and about what we need to do um, and how we involve people in that. Um, so when it comes to physical activity, the same gaps in, you know, same inequalities that have been revealed over recent weeks more broadly in health and 
social inequalities you know exist within physical activity um, and we're seeing growing gaps in terms of who is active and who hasn't been active over the last few weeks which unsurprisingly reflect you know the bigger picture really so we know that those people who um, have been ex you know experiencing poverty over recent weeks are far less likely to have been active in recent weeks as well and just as you say how do we now shift the conversation to ensure that we're not now dictating to them they're not feeling mm. judged and not saying okay you know back on your feet this is what you need to do to jump on a bike or you need to go for a walk or you know get yourself you know picking picking up tins of beans in your house you know that how we involve them in the conversation on, on what happens next um, and what will help you know support their lives and the lives um, of people around them and for those communities to thrive so i guess there's a question in all that somewhere which is um you know given the importance of involving people in that co-designing of the future as we look to build back better you know how are you are you starting to facilitate that and have you got any tips for us in in when and, and how we do that given recognizing the reality of, of many people's lives at the minute so for us i mean what's been really interesting with the pandemic um in, in greater manchester you know there was you know there's quite a lot of interest in kind of co-production and engaging people um, with lived experience in sort of service design and thinking about policy quite a bit of work being undertaken to think about how we do that in greater manchester and do that well um, and obviously then what with the pandemic lots of local agencies including the local authorities obviously have to very quickly think about developing sort of community responses to the pandemic making sure they could get food and support for people who were sort of medically vulnerable at this time and, and i guess that's kind of squeezed the space for doing some of the co-production and engagement with um, people with lived experience um, really and that's not perhaps not happened in a way that it might have happened if you were if you had months or years to design a design a service um, or response to to need so we as greater manchester poverty action because we we do believe and really supportive of and um, the idea that we need to engage people with lived experience and um, both in kind of informing our work and um, informing the work of, of others we've started to think about how we create some spaces for those very time pressured kind of professionals and, and um, stakeholders to think a bit about how they do that co-production engagement work at this time so we facilitated a session um, which we invited local authority officers and others to come along to last week where we were talking and uh, we had the homelessness action network there we had 10gm there where we were very much talking about kind of co-production at this time during the pandemic but also thinking of trying to get people in that space where they could think that as we start to think about the recovery and what happens next how do we make sure that we pick back up some of the work that was already happening around co-production engaging people um, and i certainly think there's the the appetite uh, there to do that in greater manchester um, in, in particularly in the sort of the public sector that's perhaps not as used to obviously the public sector is very used to kind of consultation but not necessarily always used to kind of deeper engagement work there does seem to be an appetite um, to do that the challenge will be making sure people have got the resources and space to do that at a time when they're still going to be being asked to make decisions at short notice um, and to timescales that they wouldn't usually be working to so that's something we're keen to kind of support we would we would really see ourselves as kind of being an organization that, that makes that point and makes the case for co-production and engagement work 
um, and encourages stakeholders to think about about that and certainly don't feel like there's any sort of great resistance or pushback to that it's kind of the practical challenge of how do you do that at this time that I think people are grappling with and, and, and we'd support them to kind of think about that absolutely and um, well I mean one of the things I always think is that um, it's not the so co-production and that kind of work isn't necessarily new um, it's just new for some people and some organizations um, some organizations have more of a track record in, in kind of doing co-production than others um, and so I think I think that's where they can kind of some of the local authorities and other agencies can try and think about okay who's who's out there in greater manchester that's already doing this stuff really well uh, what existing work is there or has there been in, in the past and how do we draw on that to inform the, the decisions we're making so it's potentially a really exciting area but it's also absolutely vital because we sort of know that the response to um poverty and unrelated agendas um over the last 10 years not just nationally but locally hasn't always been the right one um, and part part of that, I think, is because it hasn't always been as informed by people with lived experience as it might be. So we need to, when we think about recovery and we're thinking about build back better and doing things differently, um, I think engaging with people with lived experience and making sure they're informing, that's going to be really important. And that fits completely with our philosophy in GM moving in the ways of, you know, working with people and giving people and communities control and power and resources to you know design design moving back into their work and life and communities in the way that they wish to not in a way which is prescribed or dictated or controlled by others um, and that's why I guess I invited you on this podcast because yeah. I've really enjoyed you know working with you and collaborating before and the work that you do um, at GM Poverty Action in terms of really looking very honestly at good practice around co-production and how do we you know provide a very genuine space um, for that to take place and involving people of lived experience without people feeling in any way that they are you know labeled or used as part of the process um, so and that feels like a very as you say vital um, ingredient at the minute in in our decision making processes for designing a, a, you know a better future and what we've talked about is the need for space, both the physical space and the time to actually have the depth and to work through and recognise that you kind of, you know, change only happens at the, at the speed of trust and to therefore build up the trust between people who are coming to maybe the same challenge, wanting the same outcome, but from very different perspectives on how you get there. And as you said before, one of the key challenges at the minute is, you know, people um that people that are policy makers and decision makers um have got a lot on their plate so trying to make the space and the time for them to be engaged in that conversation and then those who've lived experience of poverty and those who are living with poverty at the moment have a huge amount of other demands on their emotional energy and physically staying well um and their, their mental kind of well-being at the minute so that's a real challenge i guess in terms of the opportunities you know, we've seen over the last few weeks with the mutual aid groups and with the ways of working together within communities um, and, you know, some real opportunities in, in that partnership working in how people come together with different perspectives around a kind of common endeavour. And I guess, have you seen anything through your work that you think actually is an opportunity that comes out of this crisis um, that builds on the work you've been doing before around co-producing solutions to these key challenges? Yeah, I think that's been really interesting during the the pandemic because obviously there's been a really encouraging sort of community response 
mutual aid groups and, and other things emerging, but that won't be happening in a sort of uniform way. And this will be happen, happening to a greater extent in some places. Um, and I think the, the, the interesting thing is how do you capture some of that community engagement and cohesion and activity to help um, achieve sort of longer term term aims and, and, and address longer term kind of out, outcomes and how does that happen in a way that sort of uh, engages low-income communities in uh, I, I sort of would be a bit concerned about sort of some of that kind of dissipating really and not being properly captured so it'd be quite interesting thinking about how how that happens but specifically thinking about sort of low-income communities and and co-production I think there's there's probably an awful lot of kind of um, low-income communities across Greater Manchester where people are kind of helping themselves and each other during this time you know making sure that they kind of look after their neighbours and all that kind of low-level stuff it's important that you also though create spaces for people who are involved in that kind of low-level volunteering to engage in more sort of fundamental kind of longer-term policy discussions so it's absolutely wonderful you know we've seen this sort of community response in terms of you know, doing shopping for neighbours and looking after each other and, you know, people can can do that. It doesn't need to be formalised and, you know, people can do that at any time. But people who perhaps want to do a bit more and shape things in a bit more of a fundamental way need to be supported in to engage in conversations that are about um, addressing some of the, the kind of reasons why we've got people in the community who can't access food even in normal times or you know, people in the community who are struggling financially, what are the kind of the, the things that address those issues in a more fundamental way than, say, dropping off a food parcel. So, yeah, I think we'll we'll fully understand kind of what's happened and to what extent in different places kind of after the pandemic has passed. Um, but I think the thing to think about now for, for sort of voluntary community sector, local authorities, some of the voluntary community sector infrastructure organisations, I think there's sort of work for them to do in trying to capture some of that kind of community spirit and goodwill and thinking about mechanisms for maintaining it after the pandemic um, so it doesn't sort of dissipate completely because we will get to a point where coronavirus isn't the thing on the news that we're thinking about every day um, you know we all look forward to that to that point coming but uh, you know people's minds will move on to other onto other things understandably and people will go back to work as well lots of there's lots of people who are working age at the moment who are volunteering or supporting people in their community because then they're furloughed and they're not necessarily going out to work. So um, one of the things that we know has happened in Greater Manchester is there's been this huge kind of volunteer offer, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of people, I think, um, in GM volunteered for the NHS um, RBS scheme. Um, and then each of the boroughs kind of put out a call for volunteers to support with their kind of community response. I think each borough is kind of inundated, you know, they've got more more offers than they know what to do with. Um, and it, I think it'll be important, it gets back to what I was saying really about trying to capture that and make use of that kind of offer over the long term so so people's goodwill isn't, isn't lost. And it might be that part of that is trying to think about how to involve those people in sort of conversations about policy and systems. Yeah completely so I joined one of the conversations you were hosting as you described people across the kind of GM ecosystem to talk about co-production and, and what next um, and there was definitely that appetite there to do you know create the space for those depth of conversations um, to draw on the relationships that are growing now and to you know recognize that 
people in in all their guises you know um have a role to play in how we reshape and how we harness those new webs i guess that have been created within communities as as great forums and spaces to have those conversations um which does feel really i guess that feels really quite exciting um as long as we are honest about who can't participate in that and how as you say we're ensuring that in you know, organizations like yourself and others who are able to then support and you know come with with those um who maybe would otherwise just feel excluded or not feel heard within spaces um because of all the structural barriers in place so just on a very practical basis a lot of our conversations work previously um, it's been in holding spaces um, where people feel comfortable to come and show up and share their experiences um, and kind of co-design solutions. Obviously, now we're in very different spaces. So you know, yeah. previously we've shared food, we've shared music, we've thought about how the rooms are set up. Suddenly we're all online. So how is that working, I guess, for you now? And how do you see you know, both the challenges and are there potential opportunities in that going forward? So I think initially the, the pandemic has kind of stalled um, some of that work, that co-production work, because I think for a lot of people, you know, they, they realise that um, for a lot of professionals, they realise they've got to start working at home, you know, events that uh, were going to take place were cancelled, meetings were postponed, etc. And over time, people have sort of got used to home working and conference calling. And I think people have started to realise, you know, that some of those events that people have thought, well, we're not going to be able to do that now until the autumn uh, can actually happen, but they can happen online. So I think people's there's been a bit of a journey people have gone on, um, and now people are in a bit more of a comfortable place um, with kind of doing stuff online and having conference calls and some of the, the things like Zoom and some of the tools that people are using, you know, seem to work really well and be really kind of conducive for kind of engaging different people in conversations. And um, so some of the work that that we know is going on somewhere like the Poverty Truth Commission work, for example, um, that's like either live in, in Greater Manchester or is being established for the future, can kind of pick back up now, now really, I think. Um, now, there'll be barriers for some people who are on low incomes, perhaps don't have access to the internet or the IT to engage, and that will require uh, projects and organisations like ours to think about how do we support people um, so they can be fully engaged um, even even when things are kind of happening virtually and online, I mean it might be it will be the case for some people um, that they're more comfortable with mm. virtual meetings and doing doing things online. Um, so so it'll engage some people more um, than perhaps physical meetings would have done. But there will be those people who will potentially be excluded from activity that takes place in this way. So we're really keen to sort of, to not let the kind of pandemic completely put on hold the kind of co-production engagement work that was happening in Greater Manchester that was underway. And really now to kind of get to a point where we think, okay, we people are more confident with the IT and that that kind of thing. Um, and we can start picking up some of that co-production work again and, and, and not letting it sort of be put on hold indefinitely. So definitely lots of opportunities now to kind of get get things moving again um, after a kind of period where, where things were stalled a little bit, I think. Mm. But yeah, there's, it's, and there are opportunities because, like I say, I think for some people, actually, they'll be more comfortable engaging, engaging um, online. But uh, for others, it'll be a, be a barrier. 
Thanks. So, you know, we're really rethinking our priorities at GM Moving now and developing strategies for tackling kind of the inequalities in activity to really support those who faced the biggest barriers and um, to enable them to move more. Um, and, you know, I guess a real, I'm a real believer that if we can design for those who find it the hardest um, to stay active, and if we design for them, then we design for everyone, really. So, you know, taking into account the full diversity of both of needs and of strengths and of opportunities um, and how different that looks for different people. So, you know, we're really thinking now about how we best involve people, including those who are living in poverty as part of this sort of co-design process. So it'd just be great to continue, I guess, learning alongside you and others yeah. um, in the weeks and months to come um, and to keep, I guess, challenging each other as well um, as to, you know, who who is left out um, of those conversations and, and how we then challenge decision makers and, and leaders across the system really to ensure that, you know, we really are involving people in a way that works, works for them and um, building back better for everybody um, yeah, and involved um, with everyone. That, yeah, hopefully it means that kind of digital inclusion as an agenda kind of and there's more emphasis on it because there's more acknowledgement that you know this is the world now and actually digital inclusion is really important and i think what was what's happened sort of prior to the pandemic probably in a place where we recognize that some people were digitally excluded and you know there's there's some kind of response to that but not a huge response to that partly because i think we 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 sort of living in a world where you could be digitally excluded but still engaged in in some ways um this has really sort of emphasised the need for digital inclusion for people mm. um, and how important it is. And hopefully that kind of extra emphasis on, on digital inclusion will lead to sort of a greater response to, to supporting people to become digitally included. And so that, I would hope that that would be, be kind of something that's been a bit of a realisation and wake up call for people as, as they themselves have kind of gone on, on that journey, you know, as professionals, people starting to work from home, who perhaps always worked in an office. As they themselves have gone on a bit of a journey as to kind of the importance of digital inclusion and it'll sort of re-emphasise the need to, to support the people to get to that place. I think that's been a real positive that's come out of the last few weeks you know I've heard lots of people be pleasantly surprised by the ability to actually have a you know a really meaningful um, communication and, and connection with people online yeah. um, and speaking to um, people with living with disabilities who've also you know described for example that this has enabled them to be more active and to feel more connected because it's opened up opportunities digitally that previously weren't made available to them um, and a number of people saying it's felt like it's brought the world to them um, for people that for you know a whole myriad of reasons felt previously excluded because they weren't able to leave their house already and they already felt isolated and maybe you know anxiety levels or mental health or physical disability um, or you know pure sort of social isolation meant that it's very difficult for them to get out and maybe join in conversations or or engage and participate um, in in spaces and that now they feel that they're able to so it has challenged I think some assumptions that people have made in time around actually what works for who and yeah. so it'd be good to let's see what we can take forward and and what we can leave behind us as well in all of this so as a final question a bit more of a personal question um, how do you like to move and uh, how has that adapted uh, for you uh, during our lockdown period? So for me, it's interesting with the, um, the lockdown period, really, because it was, 
if, you, if you're someone who's kind of used to going out to to work catching the tram or the bus to work or you know, you've got part of your kind of your day your routine that involves moving that's just no longer there you know now the commute is going down the stairs and going in the front room or the office or whatever so you kind of you're cutting out sort of a, a, a bit of physical activity that perhaps you never usually really kind of kind of think about so i mean i've always en- enjoyed running so kind of do you know 10ks and half marathons and things like that so i've tried to sort of keep moving by doing as, as much running as as possible during the, the lockdown and seeing that as my kind of way of being active and um, and, and keeping fit and the, the other thing i would have done an awful lot of over the last couple of months is is canvassing um ahead of the local elections so again that kind of physical activity that you'd, you'd be doing again without really sort of thinking about it uh it's, it's just been lost and cut out so you've sort of got to make up make up for it in other ways so yeah definitely definitely running and and walks in the park and got a 10 month old baby so taking her out for, for runs in the park as mm-hmm. there's not runs in the park she can't move it taking her out for walks in the park um in in the pram is, is, is kind of one of the ways that, that we've, we've kept active and the other thing for me is i do I mean, I've got a huge garden or anything, but I do like gardening. So our garden has never looked nicer than it does now. Because <laughs> we've spent an awful lot of time out there. It's last yeah. and the weather's been nice. So I've spent a lot of time out there the last couple of months. So, um, But yeah, it's is, it is really interesting because you do some of that. It's just, just activity, physical activity that you have to do just as part of your day, your routine. You kind of lose that, don't you, during the lockdown. And you're making up for that in other ways. It's a shame we'll have to um, think in, in future years when people are out canvassing if there's a way that we can get everybody to log on to a particular app or something so we can see the spike in the number of steps that are made across Greater Manchester yeah. during those times because that's a huge number of, of steps that have been lost over recent weeks. Absolutely. <laughs> so in terms of our yeah, active lives, that alone must have contributed significantly. Okay, well... Lovely to speak to you as ever. Thank you very much for your time, for everything Thanks you do. Thank you. And, and really look forward to, yeah, continuing to work alongside. Cheers, take care. If you've enjoyed this podcast, why not share it or tell a friend about it? And if you've got feedback or ideas for future episodes, please get in touch with our team at Greater Sport using the links that you'll find on our podcast page.